Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're getting a bonus episode. I had the incredible opportunity to do a live podcast at the Run Center with the New York Roadrunners and got to interview none other than marathon world record holder Paula Radcliffe. Paula is a three-time winner of the New York City Marathon, and she's also a three-time winner of the London Marathon. She holds the world record in the marathon in a time of 2.15.25, and that record still stands 15 years later. She's the mom of two, and she continues to be very heavily involved in the sport. I'm so thankful for this incredible opportunity, thankful for Christine Burke, who came on my podcast just a couple months ago and set this dream in motion when I mentioned it to her on the show, right when I was interviewing her. I said, hey, I'd love to come do a live show with you guys sometime. And look, here we are. We're doing it. So thanks, Christine, for setting this up. Thanks, John Phillips, for setting this up as well. And I'm so excited to be here in New York City for the TCS New York City Marathon. This will be my first year spectating, so I can't wait. If you are running the race tomorrow, best of luck. Enjoy the race out there. You've worked so hard to get to where you are now. And this is the day where you can enjoy all that hard work that you've put in. The race is the celebration, guys. All right, I'm not going to keep you waiting any longer. Please enjoy my conversation with the one and only Paula Radcliffe. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you guys so much for coming out tonight. My name is John Phillips. I'm the Senior Manager of Runner Programming and Products here at New York Roadrunners. Who is excited and ready to run the 2018 TCS New York City Marathon? Anybody? Yes. Uh, well, we are so excited for you guys to, to take the uh, roads tomorrow morning. Um, today we have an incredible chat right now happening. Um, we have a marathon world record holder, and it's been for about 15 years now, which is pretty good in marathon or world record uh, standards. Um, but before we introduce her, I want to introduce the person who will be interviewing her um, and a quick story. Um, the way this whole event actually happened was I was listening to her podcast, and I have the good fortune of being able to put a lot of this stuff together. And Lindsay mentioned she would want to put on a live event. It was one of her goals. And I was like, I can do that. I can, <laughs> I can make a goal happen. And that's what at Roadrunners we really like to do is make all of your, your running goals happen. They're going to happen tomorrow uh, on the course on Sunday. Um, but she has an incredible podcast. I'll have another with Lindsay Hine. And she is going to record we're recording this and we'll stream it out after. Um, but without further ado, Lindsay Hine. Hello, everybody. Who's running tomorrow? Oh, man, a lot of people. Well, I'm a little bit jealous. Um, I just went running through Central Park earlier today and just to run through and see all the flags lining was so awesome. So you guys are going to do great. Um, I am just honored and humbled to be here doing this and so excited. So um, I'm not going to waste your time uh, with me talking because we're here to hear from Paula. But I do want to say this is my third time coming to New York City. And I'm not even kidding. Uh, the first time I came, I literally rode a bike from Indiana. That's not a joke. Um, the second time, I drove. And this time, I decided to fly. So this was a way better trip. It was, it was much easier this time. Um, so I'm excited to be here. So I want to introduce to you um, three-time New York City Marathon champion and world record holder in the marathon, Paula Radcliffe. 
We need a mic on. Is that work? Yeah, yeah. there we go. <laughs> How's it going? How's your day been? Good, thank you. Very good. I took part in the dash this morning, which was a lot of fun. How many people were out there this morning? Oh, come on, Akram. You didn't do it? <laughs> <laughs> Who did you run with? Um, I ran with a gentleman called Mark from the St. George's Society uh, in New York because last time, uh, sorry, last time I was here in November, end of November of last year, I went to the St. George's Society bash and we auctioned uh, a run with in the dash today and then tickets to the blue line tomorrow. So I kind of tormented him through the, through <laughs> the run this morning, but had a lot of fun and it's, it's always such a pleasure to take part in that and to kind of feel all of the anticipation building up towards the, the marathon tomorrow and all the week it's like that. Everybody has to be in Central Park running. Yes. Okay, so tell us what you're most excited about for tomorrow. I, I think every year this is something really, really special. I think we've got some really exciting races. I think the women's race is really intriguing. We've got kind of the, the battle between Mary Katani and Vivian Chariot. And then we've got the American mix thrown in there as well. And Shalane doing what she did last year, I think it really brought the race alive from an American uh, and from a female perspective. So that was really great. And we're excited to see what will happen within that race. And then in the men's race, Jeffrey Kamwara against uh, Shura Kitata is going to be a great head-to-head. -head. And if Kamwara can come close to what his training partner did in, in Berlin um, a few months ago, then that's going to be a really, really special run. I think that you're ready for the broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell me why New York? Like, why do you come back every year? What's so special about this race in your heart? I think New York itself as a city has something really special in my heart, and then the roadrunners in particular. Um, if I think back to this, so the first time that I came to run in New York was for the Fifth Avenue Mile back in 1995, and I came over with my husband-to-be, but then my boyfriend, and we spent a week here, and we must have walked over every inch of Manhattan um, and did a whole bunch of sightseeing, and then the race went really well. I came back the next year, and Donald Trump presented me with my medal. <laughs> Wait he, wait, he was what? He was the sponsor of the race. Oh. So <laughs> he, um, he, yeah, he, he presented me with my medal on, on oh. Fifth Avenue. And if you'd have said then that in how many years he's going to be president, I would not have believed you. <laughs> <laughs> we got a good look at Trump um, Tower today. But that was special then. And then I came back in 2001 and ran the mini uh, in Central Park uh, and loved that. That went really, really well. And then I was already planning my move to the marathon. Um, so in 2004, when kind of everything fell apart in my running world uh, in Athens at the Olympics, when I started to feel better and wanted to race again, I just remember coming back from a run, we were in Flagstaff, and coming back from a run and saying to Gary, do you think they would let me into New York? He's like, I think they'll think you're nuts. But um, we phoned up and they said, yeah, sure. So um, I came and I ran and I think that really cemented New York as kind of my, my happy place, my happy running place and my go-to place to get back to, to loving running and enjoying running. Uh, and it went really well. And then to come back in 2007 after Isla was born, um, that was really special too. And to kind of finish as a mother um, with a vic second victory in Central Park was really something. And then finally in 2009, I was able to add the half marathon to it. So I think I've got the whole range of distances in New York. <laughs> Okay, how old was Baby when you did the when you won in two thousand seven? So uh, she was nine months. Nine months, nine no months. big deal. Yeah. Um, Ten months, maybe. <laughs> do we have any first time marathoners out here? Raise your hand if you're a first time marathoner. Man, we got a lot of veterans out here. Okay, we have a couple. Well, I was gonna say when you moved up to the marathon distance, 
Um, do you have any advice for a first-time marathoner, for the two people that are running their first marathon out here? <laughs> no, I think you, you've done all the work now. The biggest thing is to, to respect the distance but not be afraid of it. So you've done the preparation. You're ready to go out there. Honestly, the crowds and the runners around you are going to help you have an amazing experience. And it's, it's going to be really good. The biggest things that you need to watch are just not to start too fast. But usually when you're kind of starting back, you're held back anyway in the first couple of miles. So that's a good thing. Don't get stressed and don't try and zigzag in and out. Um, just go with it the first couple of miles and kind of let the race unfold for everybody. That first mile is slow. So nobody panic when you see the first mile on your watch. We, they do it every year on the broadcast. They're like, it's really slow. Like, it's uphill. You want to see uphill into the wind? It, it's going to be slow. So just let that one go. And then once you get down off the bridge, then you can really start rolling uh, and save something. for the New York's got a sting in the tail. It's a nice sting because Central Park is special, but it, it's rolling there too. So you need to have a little bit left in your legs to, to handle Central Park. Okay, so tell us your favorite memory, either as a runner or as doing the broadcast in New York? One oh, of them. One of them. Um, I think as a runner, for me, it's, it's got to be having, having Isla waiting there at the finish in 2007. I think that was really special. Um, and I, I think following in the footsteps of Greta Weitz, um, because she was nine-time winner of New York. I mean, no one will ever match that. No one will ever match the, the person that she was. But she was a, a huge idol to me growing up um, for the way that she performed on all three services and really kind of led the trail for, for women marathon runners coming through. So for me to be able to, to come back to New York and f to meet her here, that for me is a very, very special memory. I've got photos of her presenting me and being there, and that, that's very, very special. What about when you're broadcasting? You were on the lead vehicle last year when Shalane won. What was that like? That was really amazing to, to kind of just experience the, the roar because the New York crowds are so loud and so special anyway. And all the time that she was up in the lead group, it was a, a huge roar of support the whole way. But when she passed Mary Katani and she went into the lead, that was really, really huge in Central Park. And you could see on her face what it meant to her, but you could hear from the crowd as well what it meant. And I think it's really important in the, in the same way that Meb winning on the men's side was huge. Uh, I think for her to win in, in New York, for an American to win, uh, that was something really, really special. I was thinking about this and I wanted to ask you, when you were competing, did you have anybody that you competed with um, that had you had a sort of relationship like you know how we saw Shalane and Des in Boston kind of help each other out Did you have anybody like that that you raced with that of course you want to win but that you might kind of look out for one another? I think marathon running is like that in general um, I think uh, that you'll find when you kind of join that family of marathon runners. There's a huge camaraderie that there's a huge amount of respect it's not like say the, the sprinters or the, the field eventers might have a bit more rivalry and a bit more kind of not wanting to get too close to someone um, because the events are so short and they're over so quickly. But something like the marathon, you are all very similar people. We're all very similar people. We go through, we like the same things. Um, we'll go through the same kind of ups and downs within the race and in the preparation going into it. And I think you respect that. So I think there's a, there's a much closer bond and that's one of the big draws and what's so special and unique about the marathon family is that is that bond so yeah there was lots of people that i would get on really well with and of course when you're in the race you want to beat them um but at the same time if something unfair happened to them in the race a lot of times people will wait they'll make sure that they get back on track um i've had that happen people drop their bottles other people will offer to share their bottles um that
that happens out there in a marathon. I'm not sure that happens in as many other events. That's so cool. Um, now, you're so sweet and kind, but you are clearly very fierce and competitive. Where does that come <laughs> from? I mean, you're the world record holder. Where does it come from? I don't know. Um, I don't know because I, I guess it's, it's just me. Um, but I think everybody has it. And I don't think, um, I don't think being tough and being able to, to push your body and get the best out of it means that you've necessarily got to be mean. Um, and you've got to, I think it can, it can work the other way. And I, I think, um, I guess I like to go in and my biggest battle in a race is kind of with myself. Um, to see what I can get out of my body and to see what I'm capable of doing, how fast I can, can push myself uh, and what I can achieve. Um, and I think that maybe having the rest of your life in, in good order and having that support from the family unit and from all the friends around you really helps you to, to be able to go out and do that. Okay, so let's talk about the world record. 2.15.25. <laughs> I knew if I didn't look, I would get the seconds wrong. Uh, did you ever think that it would last 15 years? No, uh, I can still remember now when I, when I crossed that finish line in London and the race organizer, Dave Bedford, came up to me and he said, uh, I'm not going to see that beaten in my lifetime. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm going to come back next year and beat it. Um, and I was sure I was going to be able to do that. And it didn't pan out like that. Maybe I got into the shape to be able to do it, but the marathon's not like that. You've got to be in the shape and things have to come together. The race has to be there at that time. And it has to be good conditions on the day and you have to stay healthy through all the build-up. And I wasn't able to, to get that kind of perfect storm again and be able to, to capitalize on that. Um, so I don't know how long I thought it would last. I think I just remember running absolutely as hard as I could over those closing miles so that it had a chance to, to stand for as long as possible. And let's face it, I can't go out and improve it now. So <laughs> when it goes, it goes. Okay, so I've watched the video of you finishing. And like you can, has anybody else watched the video of Paula finishing London that year? Yeah, you can see it in her face. It, like just the grittiness and how hard you're working. How do you train your brain? You know, a lot of people today, tomorrow, are going to be out there feeling that way at mile 22, 23, 24. Um, how do you train your brain to work through it? I think by going there in training and in competition um, as much as you can is the only really way that you can do that. You kind of find your, your happy place, <laughs> somewhere that you go to while still keeping concentration. I think that's what's, what's hard to find. Like everybody can find their happy place, but usually they lose the concentration. Um, and so what you're kind of trying to get through the training and the competition is somewhere that you can go to where you're kind of zoning out the pain, but you're staying focused on, on what you need to be doing where you are in the race markers that are coming up and kind of what you need to be accomplishing, what your goal is uh, within that race. And I guess I just built up to that. It, it, I remember it really scaring my mom when I first went away to altitude training, because I guess I learned to push my body to another level at altitude. And I came back down in my first race and she's like, oh my God, your eyes are rolling back in your head. <laughs> and um, before that, I used to obviously wave my head around a little bit. Um, and uh, everyone thought that was the sign of pushing hard. But actually, it was when my eyes started to roll back. So then I thought, maybe I better racing glasses so I don't freak out my mom every time I run. <laughs> OK, so um, can you give us a couple names of people that you think could be contenders to possibly break that record in the coming years, people that are competing uh, now? You know, it, it's it's really hard to pick that. I mean, I think Mary Katani has shown that, that she has been be, would be capable of doing that. Tiranesh as well, um, but it's about getting it 
that together, like I said, that perfect storm on the day of having the preparation. The ability to do it is one thing, but having the preparation, being in the right course and getting good conditions on the day, all of those things. I mean, we saw with Elliot Kipchoge, he's had the ability to run that time for a while now, but getting it all to come together on the day, you kind of need a little bit of luck as well. Um, I think Alma Zayana is somebody else who has kind of that potential. But until someone's run a marathon, you can never say 100% because the marathons, it's like that. You can have a lot of potential at a distance and people can say, oh, they could do amazing, but they could not as well. It, it can take some time to, to get to know the marathon. Is there something with the 215, though? Because nobody's even touching it. You know, Mary Katani's uh, ran that 217. I, that's a minute and a half. It's that's close. That's, that's a lot of time, though, when you're running that fast. So what what is it? What is that with 215? Do you think that there's something to that extra bit of time there? Why is nobody getting close? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think when I when I ran it, uh, I'd run I'd run the record in Chicago in um, in 2002, and that was a huge goal because when I'd made my debut in London in 2002, I had no idea. I was just running to enjoy the distance, enjoy the race. I loved it from start to finish. I'm sure the London crowds really, really helped me that day. Um, but I ran huge negative splits. And I think I just thought in the second half, okay, I've got nothing to lose here. If I blow up, they'll say, oh, it was her first one, never mind. Um, and I turned into the mall, which is about 200 meters to go. And I saw the clock said 218 and I thought, I'm sure the world record's something like that. And I didn't even know exactly what the world record was, and I missed it by nine seconds. So I then said, to, right, okay, I can, I can get this if I work really hard. So I started talking to Kerry about going to Chicago. Um, I went there, and I was able to, to set that record there, but I really wanted to kind of bring it home to the London Marathon. Uh, so that kind of fueled my training all through that winter. And then I really only went into the London Marathon with one race goal, and that was to try and hit as many miles as I could under the average of my Chicago time. So I was just trying to hit under 5.13 as often as I could. And I knew from the halfway split, and I knew from like the, the second half, as they were kind of adding up, and I saw a few five minutes, which were probably a bit crazy, flash by. Um, then I knew I was up, but I didn't really know what I was kind of on target for. And then as I was coming along the, the embankment, um, a guy called Peter Elliott, who was Olympic silver medalist in, in um, the 800 meters, was on the camera bike, so doing the job that I'm going to be doing tomorrow for BBC. And my husband called him over to the lead truck and said, can you go back and tell her that she needs to pick it up if she wants to break 216? Uh, and I'm not going to repeat the message that I sent back, but it wasn't <laughs> that polite. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm trying as hard as I can here. It'll be what it'll be. Um, but I, I think knowing that I was that close to it probably did give me a little bit of extra energy. Um, and then as you kind of get into the last couple of miles and you know you're already having a personal best run and a run of my life, then that helped to kind of dredge every last bit of energy that I could um, so that I, I, I could get under that 2.16. And when, you turn in when I turned into the mall and I saw the, the time there, I don't think I believed it, but at the same time I was kind of in that happy place just thinking about one foot in front of the other until I, I crossed the finish line. So what moment feels more surreal, that moment or finishing New York with a win uh, with your baby at the finish line, Isla? Uh, I think they're different. Yeah. They're, they're different. Um, I remember 
clearly after when I was in bits after um, Athens, I remember speaking to, to Sally Gunnell, who's a multiple Olympic world, Commonwealth European champion over 400 meter hurdles. And she said to me, don't worry about this. You will get over this. You will have kids and you will see that this is just running. It's not important. It doesn't really matter in the scheme of everything. And at the time, I thought, oh, that's really nice. But <laughs> actually, it really hurts. and It really sucks. Um, but then once, once you do, once you even find out that you're pregnant, that becomes the priority. Um, and I'm sure that helped me to, to run as well as I did after I'd had the kids. Um, even though I was getting older and my body was kind of falling apart a little bit on me because when you're, when you're happy, you run well. And when you've got someone else to, to run for, there's a completeness that I don't think you're going to find like professionally just going, going and racing. Um, uh, and it, it's kind of a different level of, uh, of happiness. When you're happy, you run better. Was that the quote? Yeah. That was really good. <laughs> I like that. That's so good. Remember that tomorrow when it hurts. When you're happy, you run better. Yeah, smile, it helps. That's good. Really that is so help. true. When My husband always hurts. tells me that. You smile when it hurts. You might look weird, but <laughs> um, your husband runs too, right, though? Ran. Yeah, yeah. yeah ran. Does <laughs> no, he, he run at all does. now? Like, yeah, do you guys does. go out on runs together? We, he won't run with me now. No, why no, not? No. He, well, we, we run at different times of the day, and yeah. I guess uh, once the kids were born, then we kind of juggled it around, so I would get my runs done. He would come on the bike with me a lot, and he might do warm-ups and cool-downs with me. Um, but now he's like, no, I don't want to run with you. And I think he, he likes to run on the treadmill quite a bit, and, and I prefer to run outside when I can. Um, so, yeah, we don't, really, we don't actually run together. We do both still run, but not very often together. I run with the kids, though. Um, and we have to say congratulations to him because he coaches Mo Farah, right? Mm -hmm. And Mo Farah just won Chicago, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. Yeah. I'm really so how exciting was that for you guys to see? Uh, that was I was really proud of them because uh, I think there was a, a lot of people that maybe thought, okay, Mo, I think probably myself included, Mo's best distance was on the track, and probably it, maybe it still is, but I think the fact that he went out and ran 2.5, the fact that he's won a marathon major, that's huge from a guy who's run 328 for 1500 meters, and that range is really special. And yes, he might have a bit of ground to make up on Elliot Kipchoge, but I think uh, the way that he applied himself to the changes that need to be made um, to, to run a marathon as opposed to racing a 10K um, were, were really impressive. And the way that he kind of turned the screw in the final miles uh, in Chicago, that's something that we hadn't seen him do on the track. Um, and that's something that I think had been born out of the training that they'd done kind of Gary basically making him work hard on, on some areas because that's where I have a lot of respect for Gary uh, and I'm proud of the way that he did that because we're completely different athletes. So you couldn't just take the training that you did with me and just apply it to Mo Farah because his strengths uh, are my weaknesses and things that I was good at straight away. It took him time to, to work out, but they were able to do that and, and they were able to, to get to Chicago uh, and that went really, really well. So I think now it's exciting for the next one. Yeah, his, uh, seeing his wife at the finish line and that big hug, it was so sweet. <laughs> uh, you said his strengths aren't your strengths. What were your strengths in the marathon and training? Um, I think my strengths were my, my mental strength um, and I think the, the ability of my body to withstand the amount of training. I think that, that was a huge strength. Uh, I mean, yes, my body started to break down later in my career, but it had been through a lot and it had given me a lot by that point. Um, and I think through kind of my mid to, to late 20s, um, I was really able to, to throw a lot at it and it was able to absorb it and come back for the next run. Um, and so that strength and that endurance, uh, I think, was probably my strength. And let's face it, my speed was not. <laughs> well, tell us what your favorite uh, 
marathon workout is was um so i think probably two were really key to my training uh, and one was the long run uh, i think making the long run into kind of like a long tempo run a hard workout um, and a lot of those being at altitude were, were really key to the mental strength as much as the, the physical endurance that you're building. You're also teaching your mind to, to, to run hard, to go to somewhere that hurts for two hours, 15, uh, two and a half hours of, of time. Uh, and then I think the other one was a key kind of track session that I used to keep in. Um, and it was like a fart leg session. So it was kind of a 6K, 4K, 2K broken down into 400, 300, 200, 100 rolling. Um, and you have to run those at hard pace, but keep the recovery going at marathon pace. So, so that was really tough. And yeah, there'd be fast. times when recovery I'd be like... Recovery at marathon pace. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be really staggering going into the kind of the last part <laughs> of the, the last 2K of that 6K set really killed. But I think it, it built that strength and that ability to, to run on completely dead legs. Okay, so did you do anything different the training cycle that you did break the world record the t with the 215? No. No. I think it was just I think it was just a gradual build up. Um, the only thing it was pretty much almost a copy of what I'd done the previous year in my marathon build up except that I was trying to I'm quite competitive even in my training. So I was trying to beat my runs. Um, and I, was, I do a, did like a 10-mile tempo run that I used to. I used to go out to Albuquerque, and I used to do a three-mile circuit around Albuquerque Academy. Um, and I'd do three loops of that. Um, and my goal was each week to try and improve that and get quicker. So I knew from the times that I was in better shape than the year before. Um, because I could see that even though the year before they'd improved, that one improved again. So that was the only real change. We kind of stuck to the things that had worked and just concentrated on trying to make them better. Okay, so then I love talking about training like season upon season. So talk to everybody about the importance of that and building. You know, you have a certain goal for the marathon tomorrow, but then next year you can run even faster. So why is that so important, building season upon season? I think it's it's nice to imagine it as like a series of steps. Um, so you're going to hit for the f your first marathon, you're going to make the first step. You're not going to get up to that second step unless you take a good rest after the first one. So that's the most important thing is that you take a really good rest, refresh mentally and physically. Do the things that you couldn't fit in because you were too tired to do or too busy to do in the marathon build-up. Uh, spend time with your family. Do all of that kind of recharging and then start back gradually and just try and take it up a notch, um, but just gradually, a little bit each, each week and a little bit each workout, just try and improve slightly on each one. And then you're going to make it up to the next step. And then it's the, the same thing again. Rest, recover, learn from the mistakes that you make, because in every race we make mistakes um, and we learn something. And sometimes the ones that we make the worst mistakes in and we think are the biggest disaster at the time are the ones that we learn the most from uh, and come back stronger from and ready to move up to that next step. Okay, can you give us an example of a time that you made a mistake in a race and then you came back? Um, let me think of the best Put example. you on the spot. I know, I'm trying to think of the best one. I think probably the, the biggest one, well, I think the more I learned from it um, in 2001 when I went to the um, World Championships on the track. And it was Edmonton, um, which is at semi-altitude. Uh, and I think the coaches beforehand sort of said to me, you know, you can't really run hard from the front because th the altitude will, will come back in the second half of the race. And I think because the year before in Sydney, I'd front ran the whole of the, the Olympic 10,000 meters and then just been out kicked at the end and that hurt. 
Um, so I think I doubted myself a little bit too much there. And I wanted to try something different and try and really make it hurt just in the last four or five laps. Um, but it wasn't enough. And so I didn't kind of run to my strengths in that race. Uh, and I walked away again fourth and really missed out. I was actually closer to getting a medal than I'd been in Sydney. But I didn't feel like I'd run my race. Um, and so I think that probably gave me a lot of strength moving forward because I'd already made the decision by then to move towards the marathon. Uh, and in the marathon, I really felt, okay, this is where you have to run to your strengths. You have to know what you're good at and believe in what you can do to be able to kind of lay it out there uh, and risk it a little bit and, and trust that you have it there to be able to maintain it. Do you like running out front? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think I'm a natural front runner. I, I, I like doing that. I like being racing rather in tune with with my body so kind of knowing where that fine line is of what you can maintain uh, and what you can't what's too fast and you need to check back a little bit i like to be able to find that in training so that i know i can kind of ride that in a race do you prefer a course uh like london where it's super fast or a course like new york where you're really racing not so much for time but to win i like an interesting course yeah. um and they're both that yeah. so i think for me the worst kind of course would be just straight lines um, and, and no atmosphere, nothing to kind of not look at because you're very focused on the race, but you, you absorb that, you get energy from that atmosphere around. But I like a tough course as well. I think it comes from the fact that I started out on the cross country. So for me, New York is kind of that, it's like as close to cross country as you can get when you're running a marathon um, because there's the hills in there. There's the testing sections. Even the terrain changes slightly. So you, you've got kind of the tarmac in the park, but you've got a lot of the sections of concrete as well. You've got the grill on the bridges. So those things mix it up and just make it a little bit more, a little bit more testing. What's your favorite part of the course at New York? When you get into Central Park, I think. Yeah, I love First Avenue. I love when you drop down from the, the, the quietness of the bridge and you come out and you hit kind of that chasm that's First Avenue and it, it really gives you a, a boost and a push of energy. I love the way that the Bronx is so different. Um, but I think it's because Central Park is my first memories from kind of the 90s when I first came. And it, it's like the center, the epicenter, I think, of running in New York. Uh, and you're also getting to the closing stages. So you know that it's, it's really coming down to, to crunch time. And I think I've run a lot of times over the route in Central Park. So that's also good. I know it really well. So when I was coming in, into it in the marathon and sometimes I was still really fighting hard in those stages. Um, so to know the course well and to know the ups and downs and the, and the corners, that really helps. So when you're riding on the lead vehicle now, do you, pick, like, do you think about past years when, like, oh, that was me? I don't know if I think, oh, that's me, but I think that I'm actually really lucky to, to have had as many times as I did running in, in amazing places, running in exceptional marathons, and now, I've got kind of the best seat in the house because I'm, I'm really close to the race. I can see everything happening. Yeah, I missed the men's race, so I have to catch up on that afterwards. Um, but I couldn't really ask for a better job. I'm still involved in a, a sport that I love, and I'm able to, to kind of watch the race unfold. And for me, it's really interesting to see how kind of people are planning their tactics, the moves that they're making. Um, and to be that close, you're able to, to see that a lot better than you would be able to just, just watching at home. Okay, so let's talk about something we've all experienced, which is disappointment. Um, and you mentioned Athens earlier. And this was, Athens was coming off uh, breaking the world record. 
um, and you had an unfortunate experience there, but then you came back and you won New York and, y and you, you moved on. How did you get over that heartbreak? I think you get over it by getting back to, to what you love doing. Um, and I think at the time it really kind of felt like the end of the world. Um, and I felt that I, I'd let myself down. I'd let a lot of people down. Um, and maybe it, I just put too much into trying, the Olympics meant too much to me. Um, and I just pushed too hard and that's how I picked up the injury. But you can go back over it a hundred times. And I think the biggest thing that I learned was not to have regrets about it, okay? To, to deal with it. The best thing I think that I just naturally did was just cry it all out and just get rid of all the emotions. I think if I contrast the way my husband dealt with it, kind of bottling up all the feelings inside to just getting rid of it all, um, it's much easier to just get rid of it all. Learn what you can from the things that you did wrong and then just kind of put the rest behind you uh, and move on because there's a lot of other things left in life and we're not going to be able to achieve everything. But if we didn't try and achieve some of them, we wouldn't achieve the other things that we did. So if I hadn't have had that dream uh, of winning an Olympic medal, then I wouldn't have got the world record. I wouldn't have got the world championships. I wouldn't have had the, the life that I've had. Um, so I don't regret that. Uh, I think I just kind of put it away at the time and thought, okay, I'll get over this. I'll get back to running. We went away to Flagstaff. Um, I just said, right, I'm going to run when I want to run. And when I don't want to run, I'm not going to. Um, but I wanted to run more times than I didn't. And I kind of rediscovered the, the love of just being out there running. Uh, and that's when I decided to come back to New York. And it wasn't until I arrived here and I sat in front of the press conference that I thought, oh my God, all these people think I'm doing something completely crazy. And I think I'm just going back to doing what I love doing. Um, and I didn't think it was a risk or anything because uh, I knew that I was healthy. And I might not have been as fit as I could be, but I was healthy enough to come and enjoy the race. Um, and I think that was the best way to, to get over anything is just to go back to doing what you love doing. So if anybody here today is coming off maybe a disappointing race, like their last marathon was difficult and wasn't what they wanted it to be, and they kind of have goals for redemption tomorrow, what's your best advice for standing on the starting line confidently and kind of putting that in the past and going towards the new goal? I think just completely accepting that that's, that's one time. You've put it behind you. You've learned what you could from it. And this is a completely new one. So when you stand on that start line, you think about all the preparation that you've done. You think about all the work that's gone into it. Uh, and you think about how much you want to get to that finish line. Uh, and you take in some of the atmosphere as well because that there is something really special and a magic on the, on the streets of New York on Marathon Sunday. And anybody that's around you will tell you that. And if you're going through a rough patch, just look around you and the runners around you will help you to come through that. And I think the biggest and the best advice that anybody ever gave me going into a marathon is you will have a rough patch. And do not panic, you will have more than one, but you will come through it. Everybody has one, at least one. Uh, and it's by focusing on how you've got through those rough patches in training and in races in the past, and just having faith that you will come through it and start feeling better. And sometimes having a mantra to keep you focused on just one foot in front of the other through that. What's your mantra? I just counted. I just counted up to 100. And when I got to 100, I started again. And I knew that roughly um, three times 100 was a mile. So it kind of broke down the mile. So I was basically breaking down the moment. So and when you tired in the marathon sometimes just thinking what number comes next is, is enough to to keep that focus okay so I want to talk about family a little bit you have two kids how old are your kids 11 and 8 11 and 8 okay so how do you instill in them um, a hard work ethic uh, while also setting realistic expectations you, the mom's a world record holder 
you want to see them do well, but you don't want them to feel, you know, like the bar is so high? Uh, it's a good question. I, th I think I just want to support them, uh, and I think I, um, I want them obviously to be physically active because I think it's really important, but I also think it's important that they're allowed to find on their own the sport or the thing that gives them that passion that I discovered in running, and that might not be running. Um, and so I think they need to be able to, to do all of that. Uh, uh, having said that, it, it's hard because they've kind of grown up involved in running, so naturally that's the first sport that they wanted to try. They've been lucky enough to, to travel to lots of places to take part in races and events with me. My daughter ran here in the 5K Dash uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so they kind of are getting pushed in that direction without us really wanting them to. Uh, and I think I just really try and make sure that they understand from the way the family is uh, and the way that I was brought up with my, my mom and my, my grandmother in particular just basically saying, if you want something, you work 100% towards it. And if you don't get it the first time, you keep trying, you find different ways, uh, and you work around it. And you make sure that above all, you respect everybody else around you, and you kind of play by the rules. Um, so that's the way that I, I try and bring them up. I always make sure that they don't treat anyone else in a way that they wouldn't want to be treated themselves, and that they, they give it their best shot. And it was actually funny. I just spoke to her, because my daughter's got um, a cross-country race next week, and I just spoke to her on the phone before I came over here. And she said, Mommy, I, w I went out, and I did a, a few little five-minute effort runs. And she said, I didn't, Raph didn't want to come with me. That's her little brother. And she said, I told him, you know, you don't get anything if you don't work hard. How do you think Mommy got what she did? So I think she was bossing him around a little bit. That's so cute. Well, I, uh, my oldest son is six, and he's been doing these little rookie runs. And I just really embarrass my husband because I scream really loud because I'm, like, so excited when I see him winning. Um, I swear I didn't think I was going to be that kind of mom. But it's exciting to see your kids run, right? So what kind of... Yeah sideline mom are you when you see them racing how do you cheer them on are you loud are you quiet um i think i'm probably well i can't i tend to lose my voice if i shout too loud um but i definitely run all over the place um uh, and i do really encourage them and um my daughter was running a thousand meter race in the summer and she said to me mommy please don't run around Okay. And then I said, am I, uh, am I allowed to take pictures? And she went, yeah, you can take pictures. So I was taking a picture at 200 to go, and then I ran across the infield to be able to take a picture at the finish. And she looked around, and she went, I told you not to run. <laughs> you could have run faster if you weren't shouting to me. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. If you can talk, you can work harder. Yeah. <laughs> but you can smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can she smile. Can smile. Okay, talk to us about balancing that, though, because you, clearly you travel a lot. Your husband's a coach. Your kids are active in sports. How do you balance everything? Um, I think you have to have your priorities straight, um, and I think that's the biggest thing that kids know, hopefully, that they, they are my absolute priority, uh, and what they want and what they need comes first. Um, and then when I go away uh, and work, they know that they can phone me, they can reach me at any time. My son has tried it in the middle of a live broadcast. Um, so uh, they, they pretty much can, can get in touch with me then. And I think it's just kind of explaining to them and getting them to learn because it's, it's, it's difficult for them. It's not like your nine to five mom and dad's job. So yeah, dad goes away for five weeks at a time sometimes on a training camp and then I might be going away at weekends. But then at the same time, there's a lot of days in the week when I'm there and I can work through the homework. I can go help at the athletics club with them. So it, it's kind of getting them to understand that, that that balance is there. And then that there are there are perks that they get out of it as well uh, in terms of being able to travel to a lot of places. They've, they've seen so much. I mean, 
Isla went up and ran with Haile Gebrselassie's son in Ethiopia, and she's she's had the chance to to have lots of experiences. So I, I think it, it's making sure that they kind of understand that how that comes about, and the fact that yes, they're the priorities, but the other things, the things that you work at, and everybody's job is different, and it's important for them to see that what I really want is them to find a career which they enjoy and they love doing. So it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's hard work. It feels like it's fun. That's what they say. If you what I don't I don't know the quote, but it's something about like if you like your work, it doesn't really feel like work yeah. or something yeah, like yeah. that. Okay, so we have to know what your race predictions are for tomorrow. Top three, male and female. Let's hear uh, it. Ah, now you're really putting me on We're the line. Put her on the spot. Um, oh man, I'm gonna go with. Uh -oh. um, I think I'm gonna go with Jeffrey Kamora, Shura Kitata, and Simbu. Hey. On the men's. Let's hear the females. Um, and I'm going to go with Vivian, Gudeta, Molly Huddle. Molly Huddle. You heard it here first. <laughs> but uh, that's just, I never get it right, by the way. <laughs> Talk on that. Every year we do at the London Marathon, we do a, a sweepstake in the commentary box, and I'm last every time. <laughs> so, so I wouldn't go with me. I want to, um, I don't, how are we on time? I don't know. One minute. Uh, okay, I was going to say one question, and then I, I have, like, one couple in a podcast questions. Who's going to be the lucky person? Okay, this guy, first-time marathoner. Let me, let me bring the mic over real quick. All right, so I have my first marathon coming up. Um, I'm a, more of a distance cross-country runner type person. What, what's, like, the transition like kind of between that. I've been training like roads and stuff. I guess like just a little more advice going into that. Anything you can give me. Um, <laughs> the biggest and the best advice would be to try and run negative splits, I think. Um, that's definitely the easier way to, to run the marathon. So just kind of let the race unfold. Be as patient as you can in the first couple of miles. Make sure that you take on fuel in the, that first half of the race as well. That's really important then that you start the race well-fueled and well-hydrated, something to keep warm out there at the start on Staten Island to make sure that you're not starting the race cold. That's, that's great advice. Um, and then when you come on to, to First Avenue, then you can really start to, to put more into it. And when you get into the park, then just really start, start winding up from there. Good. Good luck. End of the podcast questions. Can I do two of those? Okay. All right. I always wrap up my podcast with the same kind of questions. So... Um, first, what's the best, most recent book you've read? Oh, God. Um, I'm really bad. When I read books, I forget what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> I read a lot, but then I have to go back to my Kindle and see what's on the front to, to see what it actually was. Oh, what did I just read? I just read one by Karen Slaughter. Okay. And I like James Patterson. I think probably one of the best, it's not that recent because it was a long time ago, um, but I, I read a book in the middle of my career, and he talked about the five balls that everyone juggles in life. Um, and their health, family, friends, career, and integrity. Uh, and they're the most important things that we all have to keep in the air. And the biggest difference is that while the others are fragile and you can never drop them and you've really got to look after them, the career one's made of rubber. So you drop that, it'll bounce, and it'll take you some time to work it back up to the heights. But you can do that, but not if you drop the others. So you've really got to look after your health, your family, your friends, and above all, your integrity. That's good. <laughs> Love that. Um, what is one message you'd like to send to the world? Be nice to each other uh, and let's look after this world. I think too many times there's, 
there's too much too much bickering too much lack of understanding too much selfishness that, that goes on in this world so i think we all need to look around and appreciate what we've got and what's around us and kind of take more care in looking after that including the planet let's send everybody off with just like one last piece of advice for tomorrow. Just one last happy saying. Really enjoy it. Just go out and enjoy it. You will love every minute of it. Every time you run New York, there's something special that you discover about it. So just go out and enjoy it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Paula. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lindsay and Paula. Before we end, we're just going to do a quick picture. So, Lindsay, you're going to go right here. Paula, you're going to go right here. We're going to do a fun crowd picture. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in today. And if you came to the show and you were there live, thank you so much. It was such an honor to meet every single one of you. Huge thanks to the New York Roadrunners for inviting me into the Run Center to conduct this interview and welcome me into this beautiful city. Good luck, everybody running the TCS New York City Marathon. Go do great things out there. Hey, you guys can find me on social media. I'd love to connect. I am on Instagram, lindsayhines626. I'm on Twitter, lindsayhine, and I'm on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. We have a group over there as well where all these conversations are continued. And if you're new to my show today, make sure you check out my episode that dropped yesterday with 2018 Boston Marathon champion Des Linden, who is also competing in the TCS New York City Marathon tomorrow. All right, guys, have a wonderful Saturday. Have a great rest of your weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.